Welcome to the latest episode of the Canadian RegTech Association's podcast. In this episode, we'll be discussing how organizations can successfully pivot in the digital age. My name is Myron Miliadair, and I'll be your host today. By way of background, I'm a partner at Miller Thompson and have significant experience supporting companies operating in the technology, media, and telecommunications sectors. I advise on domestic and cross-border mergers and acquisitions, private equity, venture capital, and corporate finance. I regularly counsel companies utilizing cutting-edge technologies, including artificial intelligence, fintech solutions, regtech solutions, and blockchain. For those of you who don't know, the Canadian RegTech Association, we're a non-for-profit organization focused on solving regulatory challenges through collaborative efforts between key RegTech stakeholders, which includes regulated entities, technology vendors, and regulatory bodies. Now, moving to today's uh, podcast, we'll be discussing digital transformation. Now, there's many factors that drive an organization's need to digitally transform. Yet, even with a significant amount of effort and time allocated to implementing change, organizations can struggle to see the benefits if the, the digital transformations is not well executed. Today, we'll be discussing how organizations can successfully innovate and grow in a digital age. And I'm joined today by two guests from companies that have successfully pivoted their operations. First, we have Andrew Obi, president of Ficonex Technology Inc. Andrew has a track record of successful organizational transformation with a background in business, operations, strategy, and technology that stretches back 30 years, including 22 years in financial services. Andrew has built teams that have driven significant change initiatives in the public and private sectors, creating innovative platforms and products, bringing companies together, following M&A activity and streamlining operations. Andrew has most recently held leadership roles with the Ficonex Group, Threshold Financial Technologies and Meridian Credit Union. For those of you who don't know, Ficonex technology, uh, Ficonex empowers financial services providers to accelerate innovation by providing next generation digital services in support of financial institutions across Canada, allowing them to effectively compete in the digital era. Next, we have Ted Hershey, Senior Vice President of Solution Services at DFIN. Ted is responsible for the solution services team at DFIN where he manages the design and pre-sales processes associated with the core technology products at DFIT. He has been integral in the design and rollout of solutions that align with compliance, regulations, as well as industry trends in the creation and delivery of content. Ted has been with DFIN for over 20 years and has served on numerous thought leadership initiatives and panels. And for those of you who don't know DFIN, it's a leading global risk and compliance company providing software and services to global capital markets, asset managers, and insurance firm. Andrew, Ted, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Oh, happy to be here, Myron. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you, Myron. Look forward to our discussion. As do I, as do I. So why don't we uh, really just kick things off with uh, a bit of an overview of the areas um, your organizations traditionally operated in and what really led 
to change? And what really drove that change? Ted, maybe we'll start with you. Sure. Thank you, Myron. It deepens heritage is in the printing business. We were part of R.R. Donnelly, a large global printing company, and we spun off from them about five years ago. And while we've always been known as a software and services provider within the financial services vertical, you know, and providing solutions for risk and compliance management, a significant portion of our revenue and infrastructure and obviously our, our focus um, or a large portion of our focus was based on printing and, and production, that, that final output of the services that we provided. So our focus has shifted dramatically from printing production to software and technology, always supported by a very strong service mindset that we have. And broadly, you know, based on your overview, you know, we're a service provider to global capital markets and investment markets providing software products to enable our clients to manage their regulated content, file that content, uh, both structured and unstructured data as well with regulators, and then distribute or provide access to that content through digital channels. Um, just high level overview of some of our software products, Active Disclosure is a self-serve financial reporting software. We have virtual data rooms in a product called Venue. Uh, we leverage ArcPro to, for legal teams to create content for asset managers and insurance firms. Uh, we have regulatory reporting software with Arc Reporting. Arc Digital is our content delivery solution. And then eBrevia is our AI solution to facilitate contract analytics. So we have a robust set of, of products and solutions within DFIN. Um, so, so back to your question on what drove the need for change to shift from a printing focus to more of a technology and solution focus. There were multiple factors, both external and internal, that drove this. Uh, externally, you know, the secular decline of print has been clear for many years. Uh, you know, not, not a secret that print has been, um, you know, going away over time. The regulatory environments that we support have been shifting to a digital model in how communications are consumed by both the regulators and investors. And maybe not as fast as other industries, but nonetheless, the, the change was clear that um, this type of regulated content would be consumed differently moving forward, moving away from print and more to digital. And internally, we recognized over time that in addition to the outstanding service levels we provide, we were able to leverage our subject matter expertise and our market share to drive the development of software products and solutions to meet our client needs. And most of the products that I, I mentioned are industry leading solutions globally. So in, in terms of driving shareholder value, as you can imagine, the profitability and the long-term growth prospects are much healthier for us as a FinTech firm versus you know, as a printer. Got it. So you, you were seeing, a, uh, I won't say end of life, but a decline in the industry in which you operated and, and that really led for the foresight and the need to change. So that, that's, uh, that makes sense to us. Yep, exactly. Great. Andrew, maybe we'll uh, direct the same question to you as well. It'd be great to hear uh, from your perspective. Yeah, sure. So, uh, I mean, the, the FiConnect story, uh, you know, started uh, a ways back. Uh, interestingly, uh, at a time when uh, there was a, a different, you know, sort of a macro trend around uh, enhancing financial services. 
uh, all of our customers are uh, our banks and credits across Canada. Uh, and uh, if you went back far enough, uh, they were dealing, struggling to deal uh, effectively um, from a competitive perspective with what at the time was the latest you know, innovation in financial services uh, was the ATM. You know, promising new ways for customers to experience uh, uh, the relationship with their financial institution, uh, providing you know more convenient access and and so on. Um, you know, nice tidy little business that ran for uh, for quite a number of years as as that channel grew, as you know, customers' expectations around it uh, evolved and provided lots of great value. Uh, but not unlike uh, Ted's uh, story about the the decline uh, in the use of print, uh, you know writing on the wall relative to the use of cash in, in the marketplace uh, led to many of the same factors, a reconsideration of you know, what you do next. Um, we often think uh, about our decision to transform the business as, uh, as changing you know, the specifics around what and even to a certain extent around how, uh, but not why. Uh, we, we stayed committed to delivering the same types of value to financial institutions. We focused on uh, you know, what the current needs of the market were, and we pivoted the business into a platform business. Uh, so we now run a platform that we call Tunnel. Uh, that platform is intended to provide uh, access to financial institutions to a variety of new and innovative services, uh, help them with their journey towards uh, towards open banking, uh, which is a relatively hot topic in financial services these days, uh, and continue to leverage you know scale and collaboration uh, among those tier two financial institutions in particular, um, you know so that they can benefit from some scale and uh, and some uh, aggregated value. Uh, so it's, it, it's been an interesting journey to, uh, you know, change the organization uh, and in particular to, to refocus it from, you know, really a monoline business uh, doing a single thing really, really well uh, to something that's reaching deeper into the customer base and trying to, you know, find maybe uh, more bespoke opportunities uh, to help them based on where they are and where they see themselves going. That's great. I think it's, it's almost... Uh... You can be a bit more prescriptive as well in the, in the direction you choose with the uh, the product offerings, and I think it's it's setting that key uh, that key direction and driver really helps with that. Yeah, so I, I, I mean, I, I don't disagree at all. Um, uh, although you also need to couple that, I think, Myron, with enough flexibility, recognizing you know that the homogeneity which used to exist uh, in financial institutions, and some would argue, still exists. Uh, today, but it's it's definitely declining over time. Uh, you know, in favor of some more unique business models and uh, and approaches to the market. No, that's a really good point, Andrew. That's a really good point. Um, okay, so why don't we shift gears a bit? I think we've heard, uh, uh, and thanks for providing the insights about what drove the change. But I, I think it'd be interesting to hear about some of the biggest challenges your organizations have have faced when pivoting. Um, there's, there's many different angles this can, can come from, from internal to external. So, Ted, maybe we can start with you to hear a, a bit from uh, Defense perspective. Sure. Yeah, it, and it's interesting to answer this question now when most of that pivoting has already been completed. Uh, so I think my answer today, you know, is different than the answer would have been say five years ago. Um, you know, the anticipated challenges that you're facing, some of those. Uh, were less challenging than we anticipated. Others were much more challenging or perhaps not even considered like a global pandemic, for example. Like we didn't foresee that as part of the, the plan or, you know, factor that in when we're considering how we transform our company. Um, so I, th I think the biggest challenges that we faced are those 
you know, that we couldn't control, such as the degree or velocity of regulatory change. Like, you know, we don't have a say necessarily in, in the pace that the regulators decide upon or um, how they go about implementing the timing of those, those changes. So I think it's important that you um, are ready and brace yourself that things won't go necessarily as expected and you need to be nimble and be able to adapt to those unforeseen changes. Um, so I, I think the biggest challenge can be the timing of the most important actions and some of the, the tough decisions that you need to make. When you're pivoting your company to be something new and different than you know, your, your heritage or your, your legacy, what you've been known for, it also means you're pivoting away from something else. And so our, our executive leadership team, in, in my opinion, has really navigated this challenge well with transparency, both internally and externally, you know, and set upon a clear strategy and, you know, very um, meticulously articulated what that strategy was, um, you know, which really helped us on the journey in the transformation of our business. Thanks, Ted. That's that's really helpful too. And I think some of the uh, some of the points you've raised are, are fantastic. It's it's really the the internal stakeholders too as well are, are driving. And it sounded like you had the the buy-in at the right levels to allow for the initiate change. Right. Exactly, Myron. Andrew, we'll turn the same question over to you. I'd like to hear. I'd be fascinated to hear some of the uh, the challenges Viconex faced and and uh, when you were pivoting as well. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna pick up on Ted's point about uh, you know the fact that you're pivoting, uh, you're changing something about what uh, people perceived about you uh, in the past, uh, and you know one of our significant challenges was the change in perceptions. You get, for lack of a better term, you get typecast, uh, you know, by the market, by your customers. They believe you to be doing a certain thing, uh, and when you go to them and say we're gonna do something that's different than that. Uh, you have to make sure that, that you have a license to do that. Uh, so we we invested significantly, you know, uh, from the very early days of having to, even before we decided what we were going to pivot to, uh, we invested a fair amount of time and energy into, you know, connecting the goodwill that everyone had had for, you know, what the company used to do to this idea that we were going to be uh, doing something different and spent a lot of time with customers and spent a lot of time talking to the market uh, about the fact that we were going to change so that there wasn't kind of this surprise and a reaction that says, you know, who are you to be doing something different than what uh, we've known and loved you for, uh, for many, many years. Um, second thing that I'd, I'd say, you know, was uh, a very important need was pivoting the team, you know, changing fundamentally the team, uh, you know, to do what we decided to do, we needed, uh, you know, different people uh, with different skills, different backgrounds, and, uh, you know, different, uh, uh, different approaches uh, to work, quite frankly. Um, so that was, uh, and we're extremely pleased with the way that that, that went. Uh, but it was it was work that needed to be done uh, quite, uh, quite early on. Um, and then some of the just, I mean, standard business things, you know, how you can do this transformation and you've got a regular, you know, going concern business that, uh, you know, in our case, we weren't abandoning, you know, our commitment to that uh, remains very, very high, uh, but we needed to figure out a model for funding and uh, we needed to make sure that we had enough commitment uh, to doing what we intended to do from among our customers uh, before we ran too far down the road. Uh, but you can't just go with a blank sheet of paper and say, don't you like us? Uh, do you want to help us do something new, even though we can't tell it? So there's 
a bit of that, you know, chicken and egg sort of uh, metaphor uh, at play as you try and prepare the market for yourselves to do something different. Make sure you've got the horses uh, hooked to the cart necessary to take you where you want to go. And then that, uh, you know, you've got a, enough confidence that your customers are going to be supportive of what you're going to do going forward. So, uh, you know, lots of uh, little side shuffle stuff there. Got it. Yeah. And I think you've touched on some of even the the harder decisions and the tougher decisions to make is, is looking internally at the not only the business and where you want to get to, but also the team that who's going to support you and and uh, and uh, figuring out whether they whether they fit the mold, we'll call it, and are able to support. Yeah, I mean, fortunately for us, you know, most of it was was an additive thing. You know, what what are we missing as opposed to, um, you know, we've got a large swath of wrong. Not that there were none of those decisions that had to be made. There certainly were, um, you know, but uh, it was as much about building as as the other. But in many businesses, that wouldn't necessarily be the case. Mm -hmm. No, exactly. I think that's a great point. Um, so we've, we've dug into, I think, uh, we'll see the overarching um, issues that were and challenges that were faced when pivoting the operations. I know both companies, DFIN and Vikinex, have really pivoted their product offerings. You, you both provided a great introduction to each uh, during the opening question, but I'd, I'd be interested to hear maybe diving into some, some challenges you faced when looking to develop those new products. I'll st uh, Andrew, maybe we can start with you on this. Yeah, sure. So for me, it's it really about the, the details. Once we had the sort of macro plan, uh, you know, that, that saw us moving to a platform uh, company, you know, leveraging some of the capabilities that we had and certainly leveraging the customer relationships and our position in, in the market, uh, we had to decide the specifics uh, of what. And so deciding, you know, how far to go, how much to invest, uh, you know, how to make the choices about capabilities and, you know, feature set of the platform uh, is, is where I, I think we found, certainly I found the most, you know, sort of nuance in there. Uh, you know, so things like, you know, for the first thing that we came out of the gate with, should we decide, uh, you know, what that is based on our own analysis of the market and our views of uh, opportunity, uh, or should we rely more on the potential customer base to, to lead that conversation and direction? Um, and then even when it came to the actual platform build, how much is enough, <clears throat> you know, time to market versus capability uh, is an important but difficult uh, balancing act to strike. So uh, we ended up going, you know, fairly MVP uh, with a strong focus on the V, you know, the viable in that, you know, minimum viable product for me has always been the most uh, important and elusive uh, part of, uh, of making the decisions around what that means. Um, you know, so we, uh, we did, we, we tried to in and in the interest of getting to market as quickly as we possibly could, uh, you know, get there as, as fast using, uh, you know, making some decisions around capabilities and uh, and even approach um, that in the long run, uh, you know, we we always knew would need to be updated, really, you know, replaced and that sort of thing. Uh, but you're you're trying to time the market with it. You're trying to you know make sure that that uh, uh, you don't move so slowly that you wake up one day and find the entire market and the expectations have moved on and what seemed like a reasonable set of architecture decisions at the time uh, are now seem to be you know obsolete or, or out of date. So you know we've quickly had to move into you know iterating the platform and making sure that we're keeping up. Uh, if not, you know trying to do a little bit of leapfrogging to get out uh, get out ahead. So you know that sort of timing and sequencing and deciding how much and you know and you know balancing our own views of that relative to the views of our customer would be where I'd sort of direct you as, as far as where the, the biggest challenges are coming from. 
Got it. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's one of those things. I think timing is critical, even in, in any business as well, right? So uh, I think that's a, a good point to make. You've got to, you've got to consider the traditional business risk concerns. Uh, and there's an extra layer of difficulty when, when pivoting too. So that's interesting. Yeah, the old, I mean, the old metaphor of, you know, trying to fly the plane and uh, build it at the same time comes to mind. <laughs> exactly. Ted, maybe we can direct the same question to you. Sure. Yeah, and I, I would echo what a Andrew was saying, that the timing is important because your, your customer selected you for traditional services, and now you want to convince them to also select you and stay with you as you move to creating new products. Um, and when I think about you know, the, the challenges, it's also not just new products, but also major product releases or enhancements to existing products. And we frequently enhance our products to specifically address new regulations, uh, which, you know, which frankly can be as challenging as releasing a new product because um, it's a different mindset than what Andrew mentioned with MVP. Um, because you're kind of living within the constraints of a an existing product and there's expectations from your customer as to what those new features and functionality will look like. So it's just, it's different, you know, than the new products. Um, but whether it be new products or enhancing existing, I believe it all comes down to striking the proper balance. Um, picking up an, another word that An Andrew mentioned where, you know, it's striking that balance between investing in new and existing solutions while also keeping up with infrastructure needs and general technology changes. Um, you know, and it's about how you appropriately allocate your capital to maximize your results and meet your overall objectives. Got it. Yeah. So it's, uh, in some ways it's a balancing act too, as well. And I completely understand that. So I, I think we'll shift gears right now more onto the, 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 the people side as well. So, so Andrew, I, I want to direct this to you as well. I, I want to get a sense of, of how FiConnex's culture has, has changed, um, based on, the new approach and, and uh, the pivot that's been undertaken. Right, I mean, an interesting question to, to think about really. Uh, so, I mean, one of the things that happened in our world is that the, the change of direction, the, the decision to pivot the business, uh, you know, also included uh, entire change in, in senior management. Um, so, you know, the board had decided this was necessary, uh, was looking for new leadership to help, uh, you know, make that possible. Uh, it's actually when I joined the organization was then, although I'd been, uh, you know, in and around the organization for, uh, for quite a number of years. Um, so, you know, I think the culture change for us was, was probably a little easier than others because we were taking what was a very small team. We were adding to the team. We were doing it with a, uh, a new management uh, group in place. And so, uh, you know, we get, really got to do it like we were building a brand new culture. Uh, but if I had to characterize it, you know, we, we were driving, you know, a more um, youthful, you know, uh, not that everybody's young, but, you know, an energetic uh, approach uh, to business, you know, high performing, you know, as opposed to, um, uh, you know, caretaking, uh, you know, because the business had been in place for as long as it was, and it was very mature and stable, uh, without a lot of uh, ongoing change, it had gotten to the point where it was, uh, you know, it was a caretaking uh, exercise, and, uh, you know, lots of diligence required, but, um, you know, not, uh, not high energy stuff, it was, uh, we say it was doing the same thing, uh, you know, for multiple years uh, in a row. So we need, we needed to shift that we needed to inject, you know, a very different approach to, you um, 
you know, getting the work done. And, uh, you know, that included uh, moving away from some traditional views on unemployment. And, you know, I've always set the, the expectation that, in fact, I don't care where you work or for that matter, when you work, um, just that you get the work that needs to be done done. And so, you know, that helped with many of those things, as did injecting a bunch of, of new team members. The last thing I'd say is, you know, we needed to, to move to a more, um, you know, purposeful, uh, you know, sales and business development um, culture. Uh, again, it, you know, the organization had uh, a single line of business, uh, not a lot of services, not a lot of things to sell, uh, but a very deep set of relationships with customers. Uh, and so it was very more account management focused, relationship focused, uh, and less on, hey, we've got new things that we would love you to decide uh, that you should uh, take from us and, and pay us for. So uh, those three elements, uh, you know, I think are the, the big dimensions that I highlight in the culture change area as we pivoted the business. No, that's interesting. And I, I, jumping on your last point, I think that's a, a great point to make is, is um, when you compare it with a new company, they, uh, they, all, they have to do two things. They have to build trust in, in the company as well as the, the, pro, uh, the products uh, and sell the uh, solutions to and, and close the sale. Um, when pivoting, you, you almost have the first um, sphere there, at least from the, the trust in the company, maybe not in the products. And uh, it doesn't really shorten the sales cycle, but it makes it a bit more unique. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's interesting. That's interesting. Now, this has been this has been great, guys. I, I really appreciate the conversation uh, on the businesses. I'd like to uh, turn the conversation a bit more uh, forward thinking here and uh, get your take on what products and technologies do you see as offerings that offer the most potential for continued innovation in each of your companies. And, and as each company operates in a, a different line, I think this is going to be interesting. So, uh, Ted, maybe we'll start with you on this one. Sure. Yeah. In, in general terms, I believe AI and machine learning hold significant opportunity for the industry. Uh, our eBrevia platform, for example, utilizes AI to analyze contracts for M&A due diligence purposes. And, you know, ultimately humans make the final decisions, but these AI and machine learning tools think across the industry will allow humans to make such decisions uh, faster, more efficiently, and in a more informed way. Um, more specifically for, for DFIN, our newest product is our Arc Digital platform, which is our content delivery solution for asset managers, insurance, retirement, other financial services firms. And we launched Arc Digital last year. Uh, it's currently being leveraged by our customers to provide access to and distribute content, regulated content, uh, to their stakeholders. So investors, participants, regulators, et cetera, um, in line with the, the rules you know, set forth by the SEC and other regulators. And we launched Arc Digital in the US to support regulations that went effective this year. And we envision use cases in Canada and globally for similar purposes. So I think continued innovation will be critical in this area of how content is provided um, you know, to the stakeholders. If you think about it, the financial services industries still leaning on dated technology you know, with tools like e-delivery and PDFs that are you know, flat, boring, and are not interactive. Um, the younger generation does not consume content in this manner. So, you know, the financial services, you know, industry will, will need to catch up. And I envision the trend continuing where we'll need to provide the content via multiple channels. So the various stakeholders can consume that information in the channel that they prefer. 
Um, you know, so as we consider how investors will consume content, we also need to think about the accessibility of it. So ADA and AODA compliant websites and information, I think will also be, be critical. Um, and I, I guess in, in summary, Myron, that the, this will make the software to support the type of content delivery ecosystems more complex. You know, the ability to deliver content through multiple channels and, you know, to speak to that end investor and stakeholder. So that will require ongoing innovation. And, you know, I think that's where our digital platform comes in and where the, the industry is headed. Thanks for that, Ted. Now that's very interesting. Andrew, same question to you. Yeah, so I mean, for us in financial services, we're we're placing most of our bets on uh, our ability to help financial institutions uh, with their digital transformation needs. So, uh, you know, that is absolutely uh, pivoting on uh, on open banking. Uh, you know, I'm I was happy to see the uh, federal government finally release the uh, results of the the second phase of the consultation process on on open banking. Um, I still think we've got a long long road ahead of us and. Uh, you know, encourage uh, all those in, in, in positions of influence to, to focus on trying to get ourselves to the point where we have a regulatory framework and a technical framework for open banking. Uh, but we're, we're intending not to, to wait. Uh, you know, so we're trying to position ourselves to help financial institutions get as many of the benefits promised by open banking as early as possible, uh, and then make the ultimate transition to a full open banking environment, uh, you know, when we have the, the entire framework uh, as easy as, as we think it possibly can be. Uh, you know, so those investments in API-based standardized uh, interface platforms are, are where we're uh, spending our time. Um, the uh, the FICONX uh, uh, technology side, so the, the, uh, this new technology platform business that uh, we invest in, um, we actually just uh, completed a transaction where that uh, business was, uh, was sold from the limited partners, the financial institutions that used to uh, own the thing, uh, into a public company, a company called Prodigy Ventures. Uh, we're extremely excited about the combined value that comes from that. Uh, they also have a, a platform-based uh, business and strategy uh, focused on uh, open banking, digital transformation, and uh, identity management, uh, all of which we see as, uh, as very important and, and there being great needs among the financial institutions in Canada and, and elsewhere in the world. Uh, you know, so that's, uh, that's where we're, we're placing our bats uh, and where we're making our investments in, uh, in developing capabilities. That's interesting, and, and congrats again on the uh, on the acquisition. I know it's a, a long process, and and open banking something uh, I'm I'm closely watching as well. So uh, uh, it's a, it's a, an interesting space to be in. Um, well, gents, thanks for the time today, Ted, Andrew. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time and joining us today. Thank you. Absolutely a pleasure to be here with uh, both you, Myron, and uh, and you, Ted. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Great. Well, thanks to our listeners today for taking the time to listen. Um, uh, please do log on to the CRTA's website. Uh, we have uh, numerous talks, podcasts, and seminars covering uh, some of the most innovative uh, and interesting topics in the uh, red tech space. So uh, please do tune in to our uh, next podcast and uh, hit the subscribe button when you do. Have a great day. Mm -hmm.